You're listening to Nightlight. Hello and welcome to another Nightlight podcast in which we're not afraid to delve into deeply controversial topics like on our program today, in which we ask, is there any hope for someone who's died without praying the sinner's prayer to still make it to heaven? Or are they forever doomed to never-ending punishment in hell? I know many people despair thinking that a dear father or mother or grandmother or friend who they knew to be good, decent, honest people, but they died before they had a fair chance to accept Jesus, that they will be forever separated from them in the afterlife and that their dear loved ones are suffering endless torments, completely disproportionate to whatever punishment they may deserve. But is this actually the case? What does the Bible actually say about this very controversial question? I asked Bible scholar Daniel Clark to research this topic and present his findings on this program. Daniel is speaking to us from Queensland, Australia. Inspiring you to dig deeper into God's Word. You're listening to Nightlight. I'd like to help folk to understand that hell is not a one-place, one-stop destination. Rather, the Bible describes three different places called hell. That's in the English language. Three different places that have three different purposes. Secondly, I'd like to help explain why the churches have a vested interest in keeping things so black and white. That is to say, they like to keep us in the belief that hell is a one place that burns with fire and brimstone. And that if someone is not saved before they die, then they're going straight to hell for all eternity with no chance of salvation. But that is not what the Bible truly teaches, because it is not the nature of Jesus. And it opposes the purpose of Jesus, as I'll explain a little bit further along. Throughout this interview, I like to highlight the fact that all the promises in the Bible remain the same after death as much as they do before death. And that means that the Lord's love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness extend into the spirit world. Therefore, I believe that the word proves that there is still a chance of salvation beyond the grave, although I must strongly emphasize that the level of salvation beyond the grave is a far less of a blessing than salvation before the grave, according to the words of Jesus. I'm going to stress this point again and again throughout this interview. Folk need to really understand this point. In John 20, 29, Jesus explained to Thomas that it is more blessed to believe without seeing than to wait to see before believing. And it is more blessed to receive salvation by faith now in this world without needing to see to believe than to wait to be given the chance to see him in the next world and then ask for his forgiveness to be saved. To be given the chance of salvation in this world is far more of a blessing than to receive salvation in the next world. Throughout this interview, I'll supply all the scripture references that support these statements. And it's then up to the listeners to search the scriptures to see if these things be so, as Acts 17.11 says to do. We all need to do our own research, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, as workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's according to 2 Timothy 2.15. So, and 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us that we need to be able to prove all things from the word. And that's what I'm hoping to do by supporting every statement with KJV scripture references. 
and I'm hoping to build a case that yes, salvation in the spirit world is not only possible, but it is also scriptural. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. You know, Daniel, all the great classic Christian preachers and teachers that I love to read and have also recorded their devotionals, great men of God like Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, and many others, they're very black and white when it comes to this question, that if you don't receive Jesus in this world, then you're doomed to eternal hell without any hope of redemption. We need to understand the correct meaning of hell. In the original texts of Hebrew and Greek, There are three distinct words that describe hell, three different places. But in the English, they are simply called hell. I'm not going to try to attempt the pronunciation of these words, but one word means the hole in the ground where the dead body is buried, which we call the grave. That's one meaning of the word hell in the English Bible. But we learn from Romans uh, 20.13, I think it is, that the sea can also hold the bodies of the dead, just the same as a grave dug in the, uh, the earth or a box in the crematorium cemetery. So we could refer to all of these places as the grave. That's one meaning of hell. Then there are two other places in the spirit world that come under the umbrella of being called hell. One of these places is called the lake of fire. But at present, there is no one in the lake of fire. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25:41 that the lake of fire is reserved for the devil and his angels, but they won't be, go there for a, quite a long time yet. Elsewhere in Revelation 19:20 shows that at the battle of Armageddon, only the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. But that's not the case with Satan. At the battle of Armageddon, he will be bound and cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Then in Revelation 20.10, it says that after those thousand years, after the battle of Gog and Magog, that's when Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Well, that's really interesting. That covers two places that's been translated as hell in the King James Bible. What about the third place? Uh, The third place called hell is the focus of our discussion tonight. Uh, 1 Peter 3.19 informs us that the disobedient and the unsaved go to a place that Scripture calls prison. That's the third meaning of the word hell in the English Bibles. This is the hell where the unsaved wait until Judgment Day, the time of the great white throne judgment of God that comes after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And this third place, this prison called hell, is a place where our unsaved family members and unsaved loved ones are sent. But it is not the lake of fire, and it doesn't need to be for all eternity. It doesn't even need to be until Judgment Day, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Faith, based upon a solid understanding of the word, combined with intercessory prayer, can release a prisoner because of the love and the grace and the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. I know that what I'm addressing tonight stands in contrast to the popular church teaching that unless you get saved before you die, then you're going straight to hell for all eternity with no chance of salvation. But that is not the nature of Jesus, nor what the Word says. So what does the Bible say, Daniel, and how would you describe the nature of Jesus? Well, firstly, the nature of Jesus is that he died for the sinner, the worst sinner that we can imagine. And the truth of the word shows that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven except blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is the rejection of the spirit of truth, that Jesus is who he says he is. 
When we accept Jesus as our Saviour, he says that all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. That's what Jesus states in Matthew 12, 31 and 32. It's the rejection of the Holy Spirit that is the unforgivable sin. That's the blaspheming against the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 12, 31 and 32. It's the rejecting of the Spirit of Truth by rejecting Jesus. Accept Jesus, and he said, All manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. That's Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Of course, if it is possible to be saved after you die, many people might say, Well, if that's the case, then why not wait until I die to accept Jesus? Whoa, that's one thing that no one wants to do. No one should want to wait until they die to accept Jesus. We would miss out on so many blessings in this life and in the life to come. Just for the moment, uh, I want to focus around the nature of Jesus, what the Word says concerning salvation in this world, before we look at the possibility or not of salvation in the world to come. Firstly, we know from the Word that Jesus wants to save the 99 plus 1. It is the nature of Jesus to want everyone saved, to repent and be saved. And we can see from the Word that he will go to any lengths and depths, even hell, to offer the opportunity to the sinner to repent and accept salvation. No, Daniel, what you shared about it just not being the nature of Jesus to condemn people to hell forever without any hope of redemption, that really struck a chord with me. But is it scriptural? Almost certainly. The Bible highlights that salvation in the spirit world is possible. And our faith is in this possibility must be based, of course, on the Word of God. Our faith must be based upon the Word of God. Therefore, I'm hoping by the end of this program, folk will have a firm, based, word-based understanding uh, to be able to pray for their deceased loved ones to be given the opportunity of salvation beyond the grave. But I must stress it again here, and maybe this is a good place to answer your earlier question, why not wait to die to be saved? Salvation in the spirit world, which Jesus referred to as the world to come in uh, Matthew 12:32, is far less of a blessing. Firstly, the unsaved live all this life on earth with the uncertainty of what lies beyond their last breath. And 1 Corinthians 15:19 says that if we don't have faith in the afterlife, if we don't know that we're saved and going to heaven, then we are of all men most miserable. Uh, the word cannot lie. The unsaved are most miserable. Regardless of their status in life, regardless of any success or wealth or popularity or any other worldly accomplishment, unless you're saved, you're most miserable. Whereas we who are born again believers, we may experience some of the battles in life, but we have the certainty of our destination beyond the grave. And we have a friend in Jesus along the road of life. And from the moment we ask Jesus into our hearts, we have all the promises of the Bible to call upon. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Yes, you're listening to an international edition of Nightlight with Daniel Clark, and we're talking about the topic of can you receive salvation after you die? And as I said earlier, many Christians are tormented by the thought that their spouse or children or their dear grandparents or friends, loved ones, because they never confessed Jesus in this life, that they're doomed to everlasting hellfire. And I think this is a question that also stumbles unbelievers who wonder how a God of love could be so merciless and cruel. Daniel, first of all, what does the Bible say 
about human spirits when they die. Where does an unsaved spirit go? Well, since the beginning of time, the Bible tells us that the unsaved go to hell, uh, which should not be confused with the lake of fire mentioned in Matthew twenty four forty one and Revelation twenty fourteen. Hell and the lake of fire are two different places. Uh, the lake of fire is just that, a lake that burns forever. Uh, and scripture tells us that the lake of fire is reserved for the devil and his angels. Uh, whereas hell, it's a hot place and it's different to the lake of fire. Uh, in Luke sixteen nineteen to 31, Jesus tells us that hell is a hot place uh, where the unsaved go, not a nice place by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, hell is where the unsaved go and wait for the judgment, which won't happen until after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But if we're a born-again believer, according to the scripture, we escape hell and go straight to heaven to be with Jesus. And if we're a born-again believer, then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.6 that our spirits go to heaven to be present with the Lord, while our bodies await to be resurrected. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.14 tells us that when Jesus returns on the day of resurrection, he is going to bring those spirits with him so that their bodies can be resurrected and put on immortality. Well-balanced scripture establishes without a doubt that if we are born-again believers when we die, then our spirits will go to heaven to be with Jesus until the resurrection. I had a very close friend who ex had accepted Jesus as his saviour, but he was a Seventh-day Adventist and he believed uh, that when he died, the next face he would see would be the face of Jesus on the day of resurrection. <laughs> I would say to Jim, don't be too surprised if uh, things turn out better than you expect and that you have to wait in heaven for the resurrection. Well, did Jim Casey died about a month ago, and I'm sure things turned out better than what he was expecting. And I'm sure that Jesus has explained to Jim the reason for his misunderstanding and in favour of the truth and a better understanding. Inspiring you to draw closer to God. You're listening to Nightlight. And the very controversial topic of this Nightlight show, is it possible to be saved in the afterlife? Is it scriptural? Daniel, let's talk about Jesus's spirit when he died. The Bible tells us that he spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Why did he do that? And what was he doing during that time? Well, Jesus told us that he must descend into the lower parts of the earth, which was also explained in Ephesians uh, 4, 9. So while the body lay in the grave, while his body lay in the grave at the surface of the earth, his spirit went to the belly of the earth, to the lower parts of the earth, as scripture says. Now, some will argue that when Jesus died, he must have gone straight to heaven because when he died, he said I com you know, that he committed his spirit to his father. But as we learn from John twenty seventeen, that on the Sunday morning after his resurrection, Jesus told Mary that he hadn't ascended to his father. And that's how we balance scripture to find out what is the truth. Yes, that's absolutely right. Well, people can toss their arguments about any way they want. But scripture is clear. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, in the lower parts of the earth, before he was resurrected and before he went to his Father in heaven. 1 Peter three nineteen to 20 tells us that Jesus went to hell to preach to the disobedient souls of the past. He went to preach to the prisoners, to those from times past to those who have been disobedient. 
That's what the word says. And we must ask ourselves, what would Jesus preach? Condemnation or salvation? What is the nature of Jesus? To condemn or to save? And the answer to that question is found in uh, John 3.17, where Jesus tells us that he comes not to condemn, but to save. This is the nature of Jesus. John 18.11 tells us that he came to save that which is lost. That is the purpose of Jesus, to save, not to condemn. And uh, then in John 18, Jesus goes on to tell us that he wants all saved, the 99 plus one. Jesus wants everyone saved. Jesus is not content with just some saved and not others. Jesus wants every sinner saved. Shining Love's Light. You're listening to Nightlight. Now let's paint the picture uh, from Scripture. The word says that after Jesus died on the cross, his body was taken and laid in the tomb awaiting the resurrection, while his spirit went to hell, where he appeared to the prisoners, where he preached to the prisoners, where he gave the unsaved the chance of salvation in the spirit world, so that he could lead captivity captive, so he could lead those captives to heaven. As Ephesians uh, 4, 7-9 explains. I've heard some people argue that Jesus went to hell in order to suffer. Some folk take one verse out of context and form an idea that is not in harmony with overall scripture. And the idea that Jesus suffered further when he went to hell is not supported by balanced scripture. Rather, uh, John 19.30 records that when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't need to suffer anymore. Jesus had finished his suffering, having suffered once, the just for the unjust. He was quickened in the spirit, made alive in the spirit as 1 Peter 3.18 explains to us. Jesus then went the extra mile. He went mighty and victorious to hell, not to suffer anymore, but to preach to those there in prison. That's the picture that scripture presents, that Jesus went there to preach to the prisoners so that they could know the truth, so that the truth could set them free. He has that authority. Jesus has that authority. Jesus is the one that holds the keys of hell. And he has the righteous authority by which his mercy can free any prisoner in hell once they accept his forgiveness and ask him to save them. Revelation 1.8 tells us that Jesus holds the keys of hell, not Satan. Jesus is the keeper of the keys. It's nightlight. What a delight. Okay, let's get back to our topic, pick up where you were talking about Jesus visiting hell for three days and nights between the time of his crucifixion and his resurrection. Okay, well, uh, firstly, we can understand from all that we've been discussing tonight that Jesus went to hell to preach to the prisoners there so that he could set the captives free and take them to heaven to lead captivity captive when he ascended to heaven, as Ephesians 4, 7 and 9 explains. So elsewhere, uh, we learn from Hebrews 13, 8, Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. What Jesus was able to perform in the past, he is well able to perform today. He doesn't change. Therefore, if we have faith to pray and to intercede for someone that we know or may feel was not born again, was not a born-again believer when they died, Scripture tells us that we have the authority to pray to Jesus and to ask him to go to that lost soul in hell 
and to offer them the opportunity to be forgiven and to receive his free gift of salvation. But remember, it's still every individual's personal decision to either accept or to reject Jesus, either in this world or the world to come. Jesus said that it is far less of a blessing to wait and see than to believe without seeing. So I can't stress that enough. No one should wait. No one. Today is the day of salvation. No one should wait and then suffer the pits of hell before they are given the chance to receive Jesus. But of course, some may ask the question, where in Scripture does it say that we're given the authority to pray for someone in hell to be given the chance of salvation? So let's reach into the Word to find the answer. Uh, Many Christians are not taught or they are unaware that like Peter, we too hold the keys of heaven. And as Christians, we too have been given the power and the authority to pray to Jesus to loose things on earth and in heaven, as explained in uh, Matthew 16:19, meaning we have the right to intercede and to ask Jesus to bind and to loose things both in the physical and the spiritual world. And Jesus told us many times throughout the Gospels that when we pray, we should believe and we shall receive. And whatsoever things we shall ask in his name, he will do it. That's his promise. Blending together all these promises and understanding from the word, we should have faith that when we ask Jesus to go to a lost soul and seek out a lost soul in hell, he will be faithful to go and to preach to them as he did for others in the past. That's our precedent. That's what he did in the past. In those three days and three nights when he went to hell. And then, but, but still, it's up to the individual soul as to whether or not they want to continue to reject the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, or to repent and to change their mind and accept Jesus. But as Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty-one and 32, once anyone stops rejecting the Holy Spirit and indeed decides to receive Jesus, then, Jesus says, all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven both in this world and the world to come, as Jesus explained. Remember, Simon, Jesus wants to get them saved, even more than we do. We might love them, but Jesus is the one that died for them. But it seems that we need to pray and to intercede for those in the spirit world, for those who we might have a concern about. And it seems that it is a spiritual necessity or requirement that we pray and intercede for others so that Jesus can then act upon those prayers and answer. We need to roll away the stone, so to speak, so that Jesus can do what only he can do. Maybe you should just explain what you mean by roll away the stone. Uh, In John chapter 11, when Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, uh, there were two kinds of people standing by. Some were doubters who scoffed in unbelief when Jesus said, roll away the stone from the grave. Uh, But others obeyed by faith and they rolled the stone away. Here was Jesus about to raise a dead man to life again. Jesus could have easily spoken to the rock and it would have rolled away. But Jesus required a demonstration of faith, of belief on the part of the bystanders. Jesus required them to do what they could do so that he could do what they couldn't do to raise the dead to life. And likewise, it seems that prayer demonstrates our faith to believe that Jesus can do what only he can do, that is, to save a lost soul in hell. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight.
Daniel, this question of can you be saved after you die has also triggered a few interesting side topics. Let's talk a little bit more about suicide. You're confident through what the Bible says that nothing, not even suicide, can separate a saved sinner from the love of God. That, that's what uh, Romans eight thirty-eight and 39 promises. And although suicide is a regrettable uh, on two accounts, it is not the unforgivable sin. Regrettable on which two accounts? Yeah, one account is the sadness of the people left behind, and the other, suicide must be deeply regrettable when a soul meets Jesus and has to account for their wrongful decision. And nevertheless, Jesus promised that once we receive him, then all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, and that must include suicide, which it seems can often be the result of a negative influence from the unseen world. So then, Daniel, you find in Scripture the faith to believe that even if someone was not a saved, born-again believer when they died, then there's still a chance, even though a lesser chance, that they can find salvation in the afterlife if they repent and receive Jesus on the other side, so to speak. Most certainly. That's what Jesus was explaining to Thomas in uh, John twenty twenty nine, when Jesus said to uh, Thomas, He believed because he saw Jesus. Then Jesus went on to explain that it is more blessed to believe without seeing. Jesus was showing us that if someone is not saved before they pass on, then they still have a chance to see him in the spirit world. But he added that it is more blessed to believe without seeing than to need to see before we believe. And I cannot understand why people can be so hard-hearted that they cannot believe that forgiveness and salvation can be available in the spirit world. This is the nature, the purpose of Jesus. And this leads me to a third point I wanted to cover tonight, that the Bible stresses over and over and over again that the love and the mercy, the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus is available to the sinner while on earth, but it also extends into the spirit world and lasts forever. Look at uh, Psalm 136, for instance, where the word repeats over and over in every verse that the Lord's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Yes, his mercy endureth forever, as it says in Psalm 136. It says it not just one time, but it repeats it 26 times. Uh, Psalm 136 seems to hammer home the point that the Lord's mercy is forever And so that must include also the life beyond. Absolutely. But to understand the depth of God's love for us, we need to have a firm understanding of what mercy means. It's a very simple word, but it has a very deep meaning that goes beyond what the dictionary definition is. The word mercy means undeserved forgiveness. Forgiveness that is undeserved. Yes, if the mercy was deserved, then it wouldn't be mercy. Yes, that's what mercy is, undeserved forgiveness. And that's what Jesus offers from everlasting to everlasting, from the beginning of time on into eternity. Jesus is willing to show us mercy. He is willing to grant us undeserved forgiveness. The moment we repent and humble ourselves, either in this world or the next, the moment when we ask Jesus for his mercy. This is the nature and the purpose of Jesus, to save us who don't deserve to be shown mercy. We don't deserve to be forgiven, neither in this world nor the next. But that is what Jesus is willing to do for us, because he knows that once we are saved, once we are his, having already paid the ransom for us, 
then his love can do wonders in redeeming our soul, either in this world or the world to come, as Jesus explained in Matthew twelve thirty-one and 32. Once we're saved, either in this world or the world to come, then his righteousness can take over and he can begin to spiritually heal us and to make us into his creation, the creation that he intended us to be from the beginning, to be conformed to the image of God's Son, to become more and more like Jesus, as Romans 8.29 explains. Salvation displays the nature and the purpose of Jesus, and he is willing to give us his gift of everlasting life, to extend to us that invitation to accept his mercy and forgiveness, either in this world or the world to come. As soon as we stop blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, as soon as we stop resisting that spirit of truth and repent and turn and receive Jesus. Jesus doesn't want any of his sheep lost. Encouraging you how very dearly Jesus loves you. You're listening to Nightlight. Daniel, how would you answer those who say that a Christian can lose their salvation? Uh, simple. I stand upon the Word of God. I know from uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that salvation is a gift. And a gift cannot be earned. Otherwise, it isn't a gift. It would be a, a wage or a reward or something that I did that I could boast about. But salvation is a gift. But that gift is not a license to go about doing whatever I want. It's not a gift to... Uh, go about and sin uh, and displease God. When I got saved, I was no longer a bastard, as the word says in uh, Romans 12.8. I became a child of God. And if I step too far out of line, I can be sure that my Father in heaven is going to deal with me as a son and correct me, just like any loving father would do. So then anyone who is saved can be certain of their eternal security concerning their salvation. I knew from the moment when I asked Jesus to come into my heart, I was saved and going to heaven when I die. I never have to face that battle again. And my faith is based upon the word of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that salvation guarantees us the gift of everlasting life through receiving Jesus. And a gift is just that, a gift. But that gift is not a license to sin to just live as I want. I became a saved, born-again believer. I became a son of God, as John 1.12 explains. And if I step too far out of line, I can be sure that my Father in heaven is going to deal with me in some way and let me know his displeasure and bring me back into line. That's what uh, Hebrews 12.6 explains. Right, so salvation is a free gift, but with that gift comes the responsibility also to behave as a child of God, right? Exactly. Uh, the salvation is the gift that we cannot earn, merit, nor deserve, so that no one can boast that they somehow earned their way to heaven. If I needed to do something to earn my gift or do anything to keep my gift, then it wasn't a gift in the first place. It was a wage or a reward for something that I did and that I could boast about, which is contrary to what is explained in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. A gift has no strings attached, no conditions. Folk need to understand that it is Jesus who paid for the gift that he gives us. And all we need to do is reach out and receive that gift by faith. Jesus died to give us that gift. He wants us to receive it. But once we do, then the devil can no longer have any claim to our soul ever again. Jesus paid the ransom for us all. As it says in 1 Timothy 2.6, 
When we receive Jesus as our Saviour, He bought us, we belong to Him now, and nothing can snatch us out of His hand, as John 10, 28-30 explains. Of course, Daniel, even though we are saved, we're still not perfect, and as humans, we'll continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, we're all bound to sin again, every day, again and again. Every day we sin, but we can never lose our salvation. We may lose our rewards, both on earth and in heaven, but we will never lose our free gift of everlasting life. That is guaranteed. Otherwise, we'd lose our salvation every single day. We all sin every single day. We need our sins forgiven daily. That is what Jesus was trying to illustrate to Peter when he washed his feet in uh, John chapter 13. When Jesus went to wash Peter's feet, Peter refused the offer. But Jesus gently explained that if Peter didn't allow him to wash his feet, then he would have no part of Jesus. And uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter, true to his nature, he was a man of extreme opposites. He said, uh, well, hey, don't stop at my feet. Wash all of me. Uh, that's when Jesus said, no, once you've been completely washed, then you only need your feet washed. Once we're saved, we're completely washed. And after that, we only need our feet washed. Shining Love's Light. You're listening to Nightlight. Daniel, it's been great having you on the program. Thanks for the research you did on this very important topic. It has certainly strengthened my faith once again in this area. Tell me, is there anything else that you'd like to add to wrap up this interview? Thank you uh, for having me on your program again. I feel blessed to have had the opportunity to share the reasons for my faith. And I hope that my word-based explanations have helped strengthen the faith of others. And I hope that I've presented an understanding whereby those who have concerns regarding relatives and loved ones, in fact, anyone who is not saved, born-again believer when they died, I hope that I've presented an understanding how listeners can have faith to pray and to ask Jesus to go to that soul in hell so that they can have the chance to see Jesus so that he can preach to them the truth to them so that they hopefully will receive Jesus as their saviour and thereby gain entrance to heaven. Of course, it's still up to the individual's personal decision, but we've done our part. And I'm sure that once someone has experienced hell for a while, and uh, then they're visited by our loving and compassionate and merciful Jesus, then seeing, hopefully, they will believe and receive him. And thank you so much, Daniel Clark. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions, you're welcome to put them below, and you'll also find the references to the scriptures Daniel shared. You'll also find the links to Daniel's website and his excellent Jesus Explains YouTube channel. And you can look forward to hearing more from Daniel on upcoming Nightlight podcasts. This is Chris Glynn signing off, and until next time, may God bless and keep you and make you a blessing to many. Bye for now. 